Hey, this is the Bridging Realities podcast with your hosts, Danielle Polgar and Eugenia Crock. Bridging the esoteric and the practical concepts of astrology into everyday life. We're happy you're hanging out with us and we hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. How are you? We are approaching the solar eclipse and Eugenia and I are just sitting here chatting about some things. Lots of things, as we always do. We love to chat. <laughs> so we thought um, we'd just kind of put you guys as a fly on a wall so you can hear what we were communicating about. And, um, yeah, where should we begin? Return to. Yeah, well, yeah, I think we were just having such a good conversation. And, you know, it's like, damn, we should just be recording this because I think a lot of you listening can probably resonate Um, but we, what, where it started this conversation is I was in bed last night and I was just thinking about a couple of things that have kind of transpired over the last, um, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. And I was thinking about this feeling of isolation and how I do feel pretty isolated in my life at this point. And, you know, part of it is because of where I live. I was talking to Danielle about that. In fact, both of us live in you know, relatively isolate places kind of in the woods and, you know, not in, you know, urban sprawl and things of that nature. Um, but it's not the location that is isolating. It's this profession. It's, excuse me, it's not this profession. It is this understanding of reality that is astrology. And, you know, we were both talking about how we do go through these moments where we wish we had never learned this um, because there are so few people on this planet who understand astrology. Granted, there are, there are a lot who do, which we're grateful for, of course, but when you go out into the consensus reality into to the world and you, you go have lunch with your neighbors and friends, or you go, to the grocery store or you sit in on any kind of conversation and, you know, people start talking about the political environment, for example, all I can see as an astrologer is this very large Hawkeye view of humanity that goes back well beyond 200,000 years that goes into this understanding of cycles and this understanding of creation and destruction and this understanding of moment to moment transits and, you know, the transits of the chart of America or the transits of the individual or what's happening today in the sky, the eclipses and so on and so forth. But you go out into the world and you talk to people and they just have no idea what is going on. And it's an isolating feeling to not be able to say, you guys, it's all good. It's just eclipse season right now. Calm down. And because they don't understand, they're just like, it's like a blank draw. Well, I don't, I don't under, no, you guys, this is a moment. It will pass. And everything they're saying is mirroring what's happening in the sky. And in order to even attempt to explain this to individuals, you have to teach them astrology. And that is time consuming. It's exhausting and it's isolating. So, you know, I was just having these thoughts and I want Danielle to jump in, but you know, I just, for those of you who are interested in astrology and maybe 
for those of you that we've made interested in astrology, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, A, because that's wonderful that we're giving you more and more tools for this very legitimate, accurate, so relevant information. But I'm also, B, sorry because now we've you know, maybe isolated you from your friends and family and people who are just so unaware. Um, so that's kind of things we're talking about. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, um, I mean, and it also could be just part of our process with astrology, how we kind of have this like dance with it where it's, you know, there's some steps that really work and it's like, Oh, we got that down. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I like you astrology. Here we go. And then, uh, and then there's those moments where you're like stepping on each other's toes, you know, and there are, there are times. Yeah. When I, it's, it's like ignorance is bliss. You know, that whole like cliche term is actually pretty true because, well, well, let me rephrase that or back up because I guess I see people right now and how they're freaking out about everything and they don't really seem very blissful and they don't know really what's going on and how beneficial all this transformation and upheaval can actually be. So, um, yeah, I just, I do think though that knowing about astrology can serve as a bridge and for people who are actually genuinely interested in it and, and can hold space for that and open up to it. I think it can be really exciting for you or us as the people who understand this language and this lens, this perspective of life, it can be really exciting to share that with people. But for the most part in that very Uranian way, um, we just are very different, you know, from the consensus reality. And there's a sense of, I don't know, I, I think wanting wanting to belong, but not wanting to abandon the knowledge and the awareness that we have in order to join. I mean, you can't go backwards, right? It's like, once you wake up, you can't go back to sleep in the same way. You can go into dreamland and escape and and this and that, but there's always going to be this kind of light that's on in the background kind of shining. And it's really hard to turn that off you know, um, once it's been turned on. So anyways, we're just exploring that concept. And also we were discussing Neptune transits and how they probably are the worst (laughs) of the outer planet transits. So, um, we can explore that a little bit, but I do want to also mention that this episode, um, we will be talking about the goddess asteroids, um, or Eugenia will be talking more about that, and I'll just kind of put my two cents in what I know. But uh, we have our topic winner, raffle winner, Brittany, who is studying astrology and wanted to know more about the goddesses. So Eugenia is our expert, in-house expert on the goddess. Mm. So we'll explore that today as well. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely go into that, Brittany. Thank you for bringing that up. And this will not be, you know, the end of this exploration either of goddesses. And, and we'll definitely get into that. And, you know, this is another one of those places where when you start to learn about the goddesses, again, it's like you can never go back um, to, to pre-goddess astrology. And, 
you know, I, I'll talk about the lecture I gave, but I, I, um, maybe not yet, but I did give a lecture recently on this and I'm going to bring that into this discussion today, but it was like the most hilarious lecture I've ever given. It was just, nobody interacted with me. It was so weird. It was on the, the, the lunar eclipse actually. Um, everyone was quiet. Usually people like laugh at me and like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty engaging when I give lectures, but it was very silent room. And then afterwards everyone just got up and left and that has never happened either. Usually people want to sit and talk, but I think I was breaking their ideas and that was hard. But again, it's like, so not only am I an isolate person because I am an astrologer and that doesn't mean because I practice it and because I see clients and teach it and read, it's because it is my life. It's my fibers. It's my soul. It's, it's the lens in which I see literally everything in this world. I, I, everything is contextualized through astrology. And so there's that isolation, but then within the, the field of astrology, then as we get even more, um, into the minutia of our personal practice, it starts to isolate us more. And I think that in astrology right now, you have two fairly strong opposing camps, so to speak. I don't know if that's how I want to say it, but you have the traditional astrologers and you have the modern psychological astrologers. And I would certainly put myself somewhere in the middle. I don't know if I resonate with one or the other more necessarily. I think they're both really valid, but if you meet traditional astrologers, they will, they will fight you on this. They will fight you on the goddess aspects of astrology. They will. Um, that's why everybody got up and left. And in fact, during my lecture, there was a man there who, had the, the, the gall to, to say that this was nonsense. Um, that astrology without the goddess is, 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 is real astrology, but this is, and he, he even brought in, he's like, well, Saturn, you know, we have to recognize that Saturn has the feminine and masculine aspects and Pluto does. And I'm like, yeah. And they don't have fucking vaginas and they don't have breasts. So they're still not goddesses. That's stretching it, man. If you don't bring women into this, you are being a chauvinistic, patriarchal, old school systemed asshole, you know? And, and, and so that was really fascinating, like how he was like, he fought me on it. And I've actually gotten into that debate with a number of people too, but you know, nevertheless, we'll get into that lecture a little bit more and I'll give more information about that. But, but I do want to just kind of complete this point with, the isolation and the Neptunian piece of it. But, um, but yeah, so I think that what we're realizing more and more is that is why we have this podcast is because a Danielle is one of the only people, not the only, like there's a handful of people in my life who understand astrology that I'm close with a very small handful. I, I would say, I don't know about you, Danielle, but if I'm being really serious about it, like close friend wise, I might have two close friends who understand astrology the way I do. Um, and so I basically have to fake it till I make it in every other conversation in my life. (laughs) Um, so if, so I think that's why we do this is because we, we really want to talk about this and we want to be witnessed. We want to be seen. If, if you're out there, we want you to be witnessed and be seen 
you know, that's what this conversation is for. And and clearly on our Patreon, those of you who are our Patreon members who are on that Facebook group tier, you might not have the same knowledge as Danielle and myself, but you now have the same filter as we do. And so it's this really nice shelter from the storm where we can talk about astrology and we can integrate it into our life. And, um, that's, you know, with more and more clarity, I think that's what I'm realizing my purpose on this earth is. And I, I wrote a little post about it on Facebook, but is to hold together this tribe of, of women. And I don't mean to exclude men, but it just feels like it's becoming more a woman thing. But, um, is to hold the space for this sacred practice that is so goddamn necessary right now and going forward in humanity. And I'm feeling that more and more that I want to keep cultivating and holding the space for this conversation. And, you know, maybe in the future we do all get together in real life and we do sit in ceremony and we share this and we talk about it and, and we, and we get to spread that conversation between Danielle and myself into the larger group in person or whatever, or the virtual reality, like we're doing a Q and a tonight, which will integrate more patrons into this so we can keep having those conversations with one another. So, so I don't know. I just, you know, I just want to put it out there. We're talking about it. So we thought we'd talk about it on the podcast too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that. Well, I just, you know, I mean, I'm in obviously uh, alignment with what you're saying and totally resonate. And, you know, it's interesting how people are mirrors to, where we are. Right. And so you're like a perfect mirror in in many ways to where I'm at in my process and in my journey of evolution and and understanding and and whatnot. Um, cause this is all hologram people (laughs) matrix. So, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to also mention that I, I too feel that there's this gathering of feminine energy, which I think is, um, kind of driving this actually, or at least in the gathering sense, you know, gathering this energy, gathering community, um, connecting with people. And I'm excited to see what is possible with the awareness that we're cultivating on a regular basis in this conversation that we're having on the podcast with each other, Facebook tribe and whatnot. Um, where we can go with it. Like eventually, yeah, I'd love to start meeting people in person and hosting workshops and retreats and, you know, really collaborating, getting together in a physical sense. But for now, anyways, it's, it's fascinating and awesome that we can all connect with each other, you know, globally and, uh, be present in each other's lives via the internet, even though I've had some interesting processes around that, <laughs> um, over the past couple of weeks in general, so yeah, we'll just, just curious to see where we go with this and, um, fascinating to hear about your experience with other astrologers. I've, I've had that kind of, um, experience in these Facebook groups that I'm a part of that, you know, have a wide range of age groups and experience in, in terms of the astrologers who are there 
And it's very interesting how there's this sense of ownership of truth or something like, well, I've been doing this for 40 years or I, this is how it is or, you know, and it, and it, it's interesting how that kind of models of consensus reality also fits into this weird realm of astrology. And it's like, why do we have to do that? You know, and, and isn't this an evolutionary thing? Like why not welcome in these new energies that are, um, coming into our awareness and our consciousness? I mean, Uranus, uh, all the outer planets, even, you know, they weren't part of the story really, maybe in Vedic sense with Rahu and Ketu, but more in a mythological way, not in an actual celestial body, you know, kind of way. And then of course the attributes we give to it based on mythology, but it's just, there needs to be from, in my opinion, a flexibility and an adaptability to, to change as we evolve through this process, because it's not like there's an end to astrology where suddenly you just know everything. It's just not, that's one of the beauty, beautiful pieces about it. And what keeps me so interested in it, I think is that it just keeps unfolding. So I'm rambling. Well, I can I um, throw in that yeah. I will talk about this, but right. When, when Ceres was discovered, she was originally considered a planet. Mm-hmm. So, um, Eris was just discovered. She is, you know, but for some reason, these planets became dwarf planets. So we have a lot more planets out there. We're going to keep discovering them. And it's just an interesting coincidence that a lot of these gals were planets and then got demoted to asteroids and dwarf planets. So, right. So it's just, again, it's just something to pay attention to. And, and I'll talk about this a little bit more today, but, um, yeah, I think if we're limiting ourselves to these these eight planets at this point rather than nine with Pluto, then we are we're saying that the universe is finite and limited and it isn't. It's expanding and growing and you know, we know well, we don't know, but now NASA says there's this massive massive planet somewhere in our solar system and we we've never seen it. We just they assume it's there because of gravity and you know mathematical equations of this and that but they haven't found the things so exactly like if we're gonna just say oh it just ends with jupiter you know pluto blah 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 all those dudes then we're being ignorant in my opinion we're being very limited so i didn't mean to cut you off but i wanted to throw that in no i'm so glad you mentioned that absolutely and i think that um i don't know if you i just saw this on the nasa website or on their Facebook page or something that they discovered another moon of ours. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's all these things that are happening and I mean, it makes sense, right? Like if we're really looking at astrology as a reflection, the whole as above, so below this whole mirror reflection to our internal psyche and evolution and expansion, um, internal universe really, then of course we're going to continually discover new territories, new pathways, you know, and, and I mean, scientifically speaking, we do create new neural pathways, um, when we do things differently or, you know, go in new directions. Um, so yeah, it, there, there's just, there has to be some kind of understanding that that's going to happen. And, um, that's okay. You know, that's okay. It doesn't change everything else. 
um, in terms of what's possible with the traditional planets. Those serve as a foundation. And from there, we can expand and become more complex members of the universe one song. (laughs) Complex piece of music, really. That's what we are. Mm. But anyways. Well, maybe we don't even want to talk about Neptune. I think what we had kind of been rapping about before getting on this episode is just how hard this Pisces energy, Neptunian energy is, and how Danielle and myself have had some pretty extensive Neptune transits. You know, I've had Neptune on my sun, my midheaven, Isis, well, heading towards Isis, Venus, Mars, Vesta in my chart. And... And just how, you know, this month or these over the next few days, we're going to have so much in the constellation of Pisces. And we've talked about this on many episodes, but that it's almost unbearable to even think about. Um, So I guess we just had wanted to mention some of that information because it is it's it's you know, we you know, we always think, oh, Saturn's tough and Pluto's tough and, you know, yada yada but it is this this might this piscean neptunian stuff it's almost like hard to even talk about because it's that hard to it's just it's just hazy and confusing and delusional and it is going to be this way you know arguably for the next 30 days or so very heavy you know we're going to have chiron athena again the way i see all these things chiron athena lilith Neptune, the Sun, Mercury, and the South Node all in Pisces. And of course, we're having this final massive solar eclipse on the 26th of February. And and just to put out there to all of you listening to that, um, if you're feeling like this is a um, a bit of a challenge, that's we're with you. And, um, and we recognize that Neptune, turns out, is one of the harder transits out there. Um, and I don't think people talk about that often. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to contribute before I get into the goddesses a little bit more, but. Well, just on that tip of, um, I, I think we're specifically speaking more to challenging transits of Neptune. There are some transits from Neptune that can be really illuminating and, and inspiring and beautiful and heart opening and um, transformational you know, because it is an outer planet, but in general, I think being a human with, you know, when Neptune comes around, it really challenges that, um, grip on reality. And I mean, that's the purpose of it is to dissolve our ego and to really kind of help us to recognize that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and to connect us to the oneness of life. But it's very ungrounding and it can be really hard. And I think in general, just like what you're saying with all of this collective energy and Pisces right now, I mean, there's uh, healing that's happening. Um, forgiveness is that's needed surrender, compassion, all of those Neptunian themes. And in the same breath, it's a very confusing time for people where we're like, what is going on? So that's the the most challenging piece of it, I think. And that's all I'm going to say about it. 
Well, and I think that's why we even started talking about this isolation piece is that if only, you know, like I had these really lovely neighbors and friends come out with me on my birthday and I'm so grateful for that. And I really appreciate their company and a lot and I really like them. Um, but they were just the way they were talking about everything happening in the world. I just want it to be like, you guys, you know, like, come on. But I couldn't explain it to them. You know, I can't over lunch. I can't explain to them that Pluto is at the midway point of Capricorn. Meanwhile, we're coming off of the Pluto Uranus square. Meanwhile, Neptune is having this crazy dance in Pisces and has been for since 2011. Meanwhile, you know, it's just, yeah. Meanwhile, like Saturn and Sagittarius, everyone fighting over their values and beliefs. It's, it's just, um, you know, how do you, how, how, how do you ground this information in a, a simple lunch <laughs> with people who know, like literally don't even believe in their sun sign, like think that's even bullshit. So it, it, it is, it's amazing. And I think with all this really incredibly strong Neptunian energy, it's, it's made it for me a little bit more frustrating than normal um, because I really feel like out of it more than usual. And, and, and how do you say that in the consensus reality when you're supposed to go to work nine to five Monday through Friday and there's no room for the natural piece of existence and, you know, there's not even room for people to soak in that information because it's more like, no, I just got to get things done. Like keep going, keep going, keep going. And I'm just not that person. I'm an astrologer. I, I'm looking at every part of this. So it's funny, I'm looking at my chart right now and I realize that Saturn is transiting my natal Neptune as well, which I've known that, but ugh. mine too. Is, yeah. is Saturn on your Neptune? Yeah. Cause it's a, that's oh. a, a generational. Right. We're only three years apart. So, right. I mean, it's not exactly on my Neptune, but when it moves back in retrograde, it will. And, um, I was very fearful of this transit actually, like as it, before it happened, I was like, Oh no, you know, what does that mean? And, and at the same time, I was kind of excited. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like bringing ideas into form, you know, inspiration, really grounding my spiritual beliefs and practices or whatever. I don't know that I really have a clear, um, reflection on what this transit has been for me. Actually, wait, let me take that back. Cause I am born in the generation of Saturn square, Neptune, which my experience of this has been kind of like having this idea of what reality could be like, but then actually seeing it and being like, Oh, that's not what it looks like in my head. And so I think this transit has kind of brought that, um, piece up part of that also being my Saturn square Saturn transit, which is also illuminating that kind of like reflective piece of kind of reviewing the past seven years since my Saturn return and saying like, where am I now? Is this where I want to be? You know, what do I have to do to kind of get on track? And with Saturn and Neptune, there is this disappointment kind of piece where, yeah, the vision that we hold may come smacking down into reality. And then it's just not what we thought it was going to be. And it, you know, if anything, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just can be kind of, um, like, whoa, startling in a way, I think. So I don't know if that's what you're experiencing at all, but it's, um, 
part of that transit. Right. Well, and I think too, because you have yours in the 10th, right. And I have mine in the seventh. So for me, it has a lot more to do with the illusions of relationships and, um, the delusions of relationships, uh, (laughs) yeah. Anyway. So interesting. Yeah. So I'm just looking and you have it retrograde when you were born. So that's interesting too. Oh, I have both Saturn and Neptune retrograde. Yeah. So, and actually Saturn's transiting my 11th house, not my 10th house, but, um, Oh, sorry. It's in your 11th. Oh, sorry. It's transiting my 11th, Okay. which has been kind of like, uh, clarifying my, goals, dreams, aspirations. What do I want to do? Where do I fit in, in the world and community and all that kind of stuff. So Mm. also contributing to the isolation feeling. Right. 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 Interesting. Okay. Well, cool. Well, enough about that, Neptune. We're just like in it. Like if any... I know I'm circling around. I feel like a <laughs> whirlpool. Sorry if I'm not making sense. <laughs> Sometimes I like feel that I'm like, yeah. this is so weird. And, and, and the, the lack of clarity, the mm-hmm. perception piece. And I was listening to Leo King last night and he was so hilarious talking about Mercury going into Pisces. He's like, uh, yeah. Like when that happens, you know, shit is just, just wait. You think you're confused now? Yeah. Just wait until that happens. Exactly. And that's happening in, um, we'll give you the date. I think that's happening. Yeah. Right on the eclipse. So super. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I'm telling you that constellation, I mean, for those of you listening, those of you who are my clients, I'm, I'm not going to be seeing clients during all of this because there's no point. Um, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to communicate well, um, and it's true. It's, it's, I've been in conversations even the last few weeks where I'm just talking and my words just stop in thin air and they just like dissipate. And I, and I, it's almost like I'm drunk or something. I'm like, why is this not, I I'm having a hard time communicating lately. So I think there could be a spiritual aspect to being able to communicate with all that energy. But I think overall it, things are going to get a little bit funky. I'm, I'm, I'm curious how that will show up in the news communications and social medias too. So, but anyway, um, let's move into the goddesses and this is something I can actually communicate very clearly and, and pretty well, hopefully. Um, and so as we're stepping into this conversation, I just want all of you to know that I did just give a pretty, it was about a two hour long lecture at the Denver astrology meetup group with Chris Brennan and it, who we will have on the show soon. Cause he has a new book, but this is also available for purchase on my website. Now the lecture itself is not available for purchase, but there is a really robust, hearty, um, really amazing, um, PowerPoint that I've created that I will be talking through. So it'll be a a video you can watch and I'm going to talk you through the PowerPoint. I'd imagine it's going to be close to two hours, maybe just under, um, but I'm getting that finalized right now. So for those of you who are listening and are interested in pre-ordering this, um, I have it as a deal for $15 currently. It'll probably go up once I publish it because I put a lot of time and energy into this. So, uh, if you go to eugeniacroc.com, uh, there is a tab on my website that I have to check, but I think it's just called learn. Um, it's up at the top of the website tab. 
Let's just see. Hold on. Come on, Neptune. Give me some clarity. Yep. So it's on my website, eugeniancrock.com. Go to learn and then just click that, that button and it'll take you to some of my other lectures I've given that are for purchase as well. But with this one, pre-order it now. It should be out in a couple of weeks. So I just want to give everyone a heads up if you find this information interesting. So essentially what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go through this um, conversation in a, a nice um, summary. I'm going to kind of introduce you to what this, this conversation looks like when I do the presentation. And then like Danny said, she'll jump in here and there. Um, but certainly this is an area of focus for me that is uh, really important. So so when we think about the goddesses, we really have to go all the way back to the beginning of feminism, okay? Um, and there's, you know, you get your different data and your different statistics here and there, but feminism really begins, uh, we call it the proto-feminists during the Age of Enlightenment in the late 1700s. Prior to that, if it was happening, it wasn't happening in any significant way that was affecting the collective the way it was when we see our first kind of feminist movement. So we're going to get into that. But I'm going to start by uh, quoting something from, you know, Yonsei, my girl, Yonsei, um, who I think is the ultimate feminist um, of our modern feminist of this, of this era, of this time. And that's why I love her so much. But one of the reasons I think I've been getting more and more, it's like Danielle and I talk about, like her and I have organically been doing this feminine thing and, and wanting it to be feminine on the podcast and the tribe and all that. And it's kind of, for both of us, it's very surprising. That's not what we intended. That's not what we thought. But it's becoming clear and clearer every day that this, the rising of the goddess, the rising of the feminine is certainly a movement that we are participating in big time because we recognize the importance of the feminine to sit in ceremony, to sit with one another as this world goes through this really epic transformation that it's going through that has only just begun. And actually I wrote something on the patron Facebook page as well about this, you know, a revelation I had on my birthday of, Oh no, like, it's time for us to be still enough to hold down the fort of transformation. We would not be getting up and moving around if we knew someone was dying or someone was about to have a baby. We would be still and we'd be sitting with that trans transformation. But for me, one of the, the things that happened that really kicked up this feminine energy for me was Beyonce. And I did not expect that. You know, I, I think I was like everybody else. I was like, oh, she just sings pop songs like Destiny's Child, whatever you know, I knew about her, but there was this one song that came out called Flawless. Have you heard this, Danielle? No. no. I don't know if I can really say much about Beyonce. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is also part of my isolation. Piece. <laughs> so I'll just let you talk about it. <laughs> anyway, there's a song by Beyonce called Flawless. Um, and in the middle of it, she has a monologue by this African feminist poet. Uh, I cannot say her name, but it's like Chimanga Nazari Adichie or something. I, I, you know, I can't say it, but this is how it goes. And when I heard this in this Beyonce song, it kind of created like a visceral experience in my body of shift 
And that was a couple years ago. This must be like three years, maybe even four years ago at this point when I first heard this song. And now I listen to it pretty regularly. But there's a monologue in the middle by this woman, and it goes like this. Must clear my throat. It's really beautiful. Okay. Okay. We teach girls to shrink themselves, to make themselves smaller. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I am expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. Now, marriage can be a source of joy and love and mutual support, but why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or accomplishments, which I think could be a good thing, but for the attention of men. We teach girls that they cannot be sexual beings in the way that boys are. Feminists, the person who believes in the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Now, listen to it flawless if you can, and listen to it. It's very moving. But for me, that really resonates. I am not married. I am, I work for myself. I have my own house. I am, in a lot of respects, a failed woman because I don't have children. I don't have a husband, and I own my own house, my own business, and men are terrified of me, right? And because that's what the culture says is that I'm too powerful, but I'm supposed to be more feminine. And so this is a this is an issue I deal with inside my heart all day, every day, because of my Cancer Capricorn nodal placement. And so does Beyonce. She's got that same nodal placement because she's similar to my age. Just a little older, thank God. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd feel terrible about myself. But no, nevertheless. Um, but she's. This is part of that that piece for us. And so I think that when we're talking about feminism, playing a piece into the asteroid goddesses and the the dwarf planet goddesses, it is a big piece of this because what is it to be a woman in 2016? And we talk about this all the time. You know, our bodies want to be still, and yet we don't really get to. And you know. Some of us will be in partnership and some of us won't. Some of us will have children and some of us won't. So what is, what's the value of, of the feminine? What's the value of women? And, um, and so, I don't know, it's just a, a thought kind of going into this, but these are issues that are, are in the, in the consciousness right now because it is 2016 and feminism did begin in the 1700s. So, um, so. I also just want to mention Up From Eden, which Danielle has also read, and that's a book by Ken Wilbur, and that takes you back to pre-patriarch, and that is a book that discusses that the matriarch was, in fact, the ruling um, or the more dominant side of the sexes pre-patriarch, so about, what, 6,000 years ago or so, something like that. So, so women were very dominant for a very, very long time and control for a very long time. And what, because we bled, right? We bled once a month and we didn't die. So we were worshiped as a species and we had children, right? And nobody understood where they came from or how that happened. But as you read Ken Wilbur and other anthropological studies of this, you see that women were actually sacrificing men because we thought that's where the blood came from. So we were killing a lot of men before men were kind of putting us down, and that's how the pendulum swung to the patriarch of of becoming dominant. And what we're 
feeling is that we're moving into an era where we're going to find the equanimity between the sexes, but we're not clearly definitely not there at this point. Um, because I think women should be worshiped and I don't think women are, you know, not here in Colorado, at least (laughs) it's such a dude state anyway. So, so, but we do then start to see the, the, the little pieces of feminism show up in the 1700s, the primary feminist. And when you buy the lecture, I go into her chart quite a, quite a lot. Um, because I think it's important to look at her chart and the significant asteroids in her chart, but, uh, is a woman named Mary Wollstonecraft. And she was a woman who was fortunate enough to au pair with some educators. So she actually was getting education during her formative years. And then she luckily was able to work at a newspaper. Again, this was like shocking in the late 1700s, but little by little, she was writing articles, which was also shocking. And she was starting to actually debate men in these, in this platform through these articles. Eventually she wound up writing a book and the book is called a A vindication of the rights of women. And it was published in 1790. And this book was uh, an argument that women need education. And it was really interesting how she wrote it too, because she wrote it in the way of saying that in order to be in a good partner to a man, a good wife to a man, it would be advisable for a woman to have education so they could actually have conversations with one another, which is really, really interesting. Um, I just got a text on the screen that said, fucking nuts. Everything is fucking nuts right now. Everything is fucking nuts right now. I just had to throw that in because eclipse season. <laughs> anyway, I just saw that. So, uh, sorry for the interruption, but so she, she made that debate. So she was doing it in a very smart approach that she was saying, Hey men, if you actually want your women to be more obedient, so to speak, maybe they should have some education, which is crazy. But so this was a really big deal, but why do I bring this up? Well, because this is when these planets were discovered originally series Okay, was the first one, Athena, Juno, and Vesta. And they were all, so Ceres was discovered in 1801, Athena, 1802, Juno, 1804, Vesta, 1807. And then there was a break for a while. But these were discovered right when that book was coming into consciousness. And this is why they were named after goddesses, because the consciousness was starting to wake up to the fact that women might be, or have some inherent value or worth. And they probably ran out of God names, right? But again, we're looking at the mirroring of history into the consciousness. Um, Now, all four of them were originally considered planets. Okay. And over time, they lost their right as planets becoming either asteroids or dwarf planets. I will get into that more into the lecture. So uh, look into that. Um, I also in the lecture will show you where they are in outer space. So I, so I show you where they're actually located in space and um, uh, all of that. The lecture also goes into a number of other asteroids that I use and also that I know other astrologers use. The primary four are though Vesta, Juno, Athena, and um, um, Ceres. And we've talked about that here. And there's a lot of kind of good information out there. But this 
my presentation will go through each of those very specifically. I give a lot of notes, a lot of um, chart interpretations of that, and I use a lot of examples. However, I do also in this presentation talk a little bit about Eris because I think Eris is one that we really all need to be paying more attention to, way more attention to. She's like bigger than Pluto. After I did my research, like she's, she needs to get a lot more credit than she's getting. And granted, she was just discovered about a decade ago, but she is near Pluto out in outer space. She's beyond Pluto, in fact, and she's much more destructive. Um, she is incredibly powerful. Um, so we'll talk um, a little bit about her maybe today, but more so in the presentation. But there's other asteroids that do get used from um, Europa. That's one that gets used. Pandora, uh, Hecate. I've used Hecate in charts prior. Um, and it goes on. There's so many goddesses in mythology and every, you know, they're out there in outer space. And I've actually, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Danielle, but I've actually looked at people's charts before that have like 50 aspects in them, like 50 um, glyphs. Because you can put in as many asteroids into the chart as you want because there's hundreds of thousands of them, but you got to be a little discerning. And so I've played with like Hecate, I've played with Artemis, I've played with all of the, a lot of these goddesses, but I've had to really cut down and, and get much more clear about the about eight that I use when I read charts so that I have a really firm understanding of them, that I've read them in you know, thousands of charts before I'm willing to keep bringing in more asteroids. But like right now I'm bringing Eris into it and it's like, okay, shit, this is something to pay attention to. But I got to know, I got to know about her before I can put her into charts. I think that that would be advisable for anybody you got to have the education behind these things before you start analyzing them in somebody else's chart. So, um, uh, so I'm going to talk just briefly about the four main ones. I'll probably bring in Eris a little bit, but again, just by the, the slideshow and you'll get all that different information. But are you, is this making sense, Danielle? Cause this is so funny for me to be talking and you to not be. <laughs> so. I mean, it always makes sense to me. Okay. I just haven't, and the way I kind of describe it to people is like, I'm just an essentialist when it comes to astrology, right? In my life, it's not to say that I don't explore this and do my own research, but in my readings and in my work with clients, I very rarely bring in the goddesses, not because I don't have any respect or regard them as valid. Um, I just think that there's so many other things, um, that, personally, you know, show up in the reading that I'm looking at more important, you know, that not, it's not even to say one's more important than the other. And, and from my perspective also, I do see that all of the fundamental or traditional planets and luminaries have both a masculine and a feminine expression. So that's just kind of my perspective and take on it. And, um, you know, it just hasn't, Evolved. So I'm here to listen and learn as well. Great. Yeah. Everybody else. And I think that's what it comes down to is you have to put aside the time to educate yourself on these things because there's so little education out there. And so, right, when you're reading charts for a living, it's really hard to stay up to date on all of that education while also reading charts and integrating it into the charts, you know, and I really understand that. And I think, too, that you know, I think that because there are so many asteroids, it's kind of like, I think people can feel like, oh, fuck it. I'm just not going to deal with this because there's too many. 
But I think if you start with those primary four, which were indeed originally planets and who really were introducing the feminist movement, that's those four are the best you can start with and you can just start layering in the others later. So, um, so the first one is series and series was, um, and we have a whole episode on series. So listen back to that. We also have a whole episode on Juno. And actually, Sol and I on my website also give lectures on these four gals. So there's quite a few ways you can get more information about it. And Sol and I are really into this big time. In fact, we're giving lectures about it in Costa Rica in May at the Astrology Rising, co-creating the future conference with Kaipacha. So um, we'll be talking more about that there. But anyway, so with Siri, she was the first one discovered. She was the first feminine archetype placed into the, the outer space. Um, so she's the granddaddy of them all. She is the mother. And that's literally what she represents in astrology. So I think it's really interesting that she was the first one discovered and she is literally the mother. So she's the mother of every asteroid and planet that was discovered after her. Um, they're birthed out of that first, um, discovery in 1801. And, you know, of course the guy who discovered her, I don't think he was being really like conscious of this decision to name her series, but she was a deity that was worshiped where he lived in Rome. And I think she was like the patron saint of his city. So he named, cause she was discovered in Sicily. So he named her series, but she's also known as Demeter in Greek. And in the slideshow, I'll show you the difference between the Greek and Roman iterations of these goddesses. But she is the mother of Persephone. She, she, when we look at her in the chart, it has a lot to do with grief. It has a lot to do because she loses her daughter to the underworld, to her brother, um, Hades. Um, so there's a big fight between her and her brothers, Hades, Zeus, and Poseidon, otherwise known as Neptune, Jupiter, and Pluto. And so it's kind of like the sister and the big older brothers and kind of the challenge between those and that the brother literally steals the daughter. And, and it goes into deeper, deeper themes here of rape, of incest, of food, of nurturing, of grief. There's so many different pieces with series, but when you start to look at her in the chart, I think the ways that she shows up the most have the most to do with food. I think that's the obvious characterization of series. So when people have really strong series, they tend to have eating disorders, whether it is overeating, undereating, or have some obsession with food. So for example, my mother has series conjunct her Pluto. And my mother, it is... 98% of how her brain functions is around the topic of food. She thinks about it all the time, right? And I have it square my Pluto, so it's there, but I forget to eat. So you can see how that's really different. Like, I forget food is a thing I'm supposed to put into my body, which is my challenging series, whereas my mom, it's all she can think about. So you can start to see this in individuals' charts, but then it also really will talk a lot about the relationship with your own mother and you as a mother. So she's really telling in that. In fact, you know, when I've worked with a lot of mothers who have lost their children and usually she's a big player in those transits and I don't want to scare anybody. So I'm not going to divulge all of that in this, in this conversation, but she usually plays a role in those kind of experiences. Um, she really mirrors that grief and, and that loss as well. So that's a big piece with series. Um, 
I'm just going to jump in here because I have Please. a series conjunct my son right. and opposing my Uranus. Yeah. Um, so I definitely resonate with a lot of what you're saying in terms of uh, the grief piece. I mean, I do have two older brothers and right. um, I definitely had an eating disorder in high school. And now my relationship with food is more in a, like the very maternal sense where I'm, I'm obsessed with it in that it's kind of, um, you know, I'm obsessed with like nutrition, eating well, feeding, you know, I'm constantly thinking about what the, what's the next thing I'm going to make planning out my meals for the week, you know, and of course, like being pregnant, you know, that's part of, um, my nesting routine and ritual and process right now. But, um, I'm scared about the losing the baby thing, but I I do, I mean, I, I know, but I mean, well, actually I don't know, but that's um, true. Yeah, you know, uh, but I have had miscarriage, so there's that. And I will say that there is this, I just had a healing session with a woman who I've worked with many, many times over. And, you know, she, she said, there's something in you that really doesn't, is like shocked almost that you're becoming a mom. And that's why it's such a big deal for you, because it's almost like you never believed it was possible. It was never going to be a reality for you. And it's actually like becoming a reality. So it's such a shocking thing. And it is in opposition to my natal Uranus placement. So anyways. Right. And I think there's that sense of detachment that this will never actually happen. So I'm not going to get attached to it. And what you see with strong series individuals is um, their mother usually lost a child before they were born. So like when I look at I mean, whenever a woman has this strong placement, she will have lost a child probably at one point or another, like you did, Danielle. And that will affect your relationship with your child to come hugely. A woman who's lost a child before having a child versus a woman who has a child and has a child, the woman will respond to this child differently, both prenatally and out of the womb. And so this is a massive curriculum when somebody has a strong series like Danielle, and I'm so happy you're using yourself as an example because it's a perfect example. And that is, oh, I'm telling you guys, this shit is very, <laughs> very powerful, very, very obvious stuff. I mean, that's the funny thing is I actually think the asteroid goddesses are more obvious than the planets. Um, and by the way, asteroid goddesses, I should, we have to take away that word asteroid. I should just say the goddesses because Ceres is not technically an asteroid at this point. She is a dwarf planet. So, um, but these stories, because they're feminine stories, and when you are the feminine, um, these stories are going to relate, I think, to you a lot more because you are, you know, a feminine person, right? So, Anyway, so Sirius is a pretty obvious um, big one there. So uh, like I said, I go more into the charts there. I use Beyonce. Beyonce, who also did lose a child before she had Blue Ivy and now these twins. So that's going to affect her children as well. So there's a big piece of that. Um, The next one discovered was Athena. She is by far and away my favorite because I have her conjunct my south node. Um, She's a big piece of my psychology. And with Athena, it is uh, she is the daughter of Zeus. Uh, she is born out of the head of Zeus. So there's some really interesting pieces about this. When a woman is born out of the head of her father, what can we assume will happen to that woman? Um, when she doesn't have a mother, right? When she's raised, you know, her, in fact, her mother, 
she doesn't have one, but Demeter, not Demeter, excuse me, Hera, Juno, which is Zeus's or Jupiter's um, uh, wife, really doesn't like Athena because it's she didn't come from her womb. She came from the father's head. So whenever people have this really strong Athena, like myself, and this was what sold me on astrology, but like more than any other aspect, when I learned that it was conjuncting my south node, but Athena people are daddy's little girl. And I am 100% that. Um, I was raised primarily by my father. My mother was not available to raise me. That was not something she was available for. Um, my father did in fact completely raise me. I have, uh, the South node conjunct Athena and Capricorn, the masculine. So this is my story. Like I was raised by my father and by my brother, by men. And I was never taught how to be a woman. Nobody ever taught me like I'll never forget when I was in middle school, a girlfriend came up to me and she kind of was like, you know, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but like, you're not supposed to have hair in between your eyebrows. And I was like, oh, and she's like, yeah, that's what we call a unibrow. And there's these things called tweezers and you can pluck out the hair. And I was like, oh, she's like, yeah, that's what girls do. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. Like I have, you know, I'm very Polish. I have like a mustache. That is part of my genetic makeup. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to have one. So she's like, and also you might want to do something with that. But again, I didn't have a mother tell me those things I had because I was raised by a man. So when you see strong Athena characters, especially women, but this works for men as well. All of these play roles in men's charts as well, but you will tend to see a woman who is much more masculine in body type and structure. And, um, you know, she might have facial hair and she'll have a much more, uh, close relationship with the father than, than the mother, but also Athena really represents intuition. So she's a big piece of that. So I think that I hear that a lot from people all the time about how intuitive I am. And I really do give that credit to Athena being, um, almost, you know, exactly conjunct my South node. Cause I was born with some intuition and masculine qualities. So, um, I will go more into her in in the slideshow as well. And I go into the Minerva, she's the, um, Roman name and I go into the differences there. And also in these slideshows, not only do I give chart examples, but I also give, um, pictures and lots of really beautiful things. So you guys can really, really embody these, these pieces. So that's Athena. She's a personal favorite for the reasons I've just mentioned. But yeah, when I heard learned about her, I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, so this actually like is real. I, that's when I realized astrology was real. Like how, who else could know that story about me if I had never told them until they saw that Athena? It's amazing. Um, and then we have, um, Juno and Juno is also known as Hera and she is the wife of Zeus. And so we've talked a lot about Juno on other episodes, so I'm not going to really get too into her except to say that she is that part of our archetype, both as women, but as people where we put God outside of ourselves and we sacrifice our self-worth to be associated with some kind of God, um, like, for example, um, this is really embarrassing, but I don't know why, but I've just started watching The Bachelor. I've never watched this show in my entire life, but it kind of popped up and I got hooked and I watched it and I was like, holy Juno, this is women fighting 
each other for the attention of this man. It's it's like mind blowing. Have you ever seen this show? I I know about it, but I don't have a television. Everybody, I don't have a TV. Well, I so I oh Hulu. I know you can watch it on Hulu, right? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't watch shows typically unless it's like right Mozart in the Jungle or something. Dude, it's. I've never seen it before, but I saw like it, again. It kind of just popped up after I had watched something, and I got hooked. I did, and I just because again from an observational perspective, like this is a show about he makes out with all of these women. Like he's making out with every single woman. He's dating like thirty women or something like that, and they're it's all fighting. And it's like they don't know him, and he doesn't know them, but they just want to win. They just want to be the winner of 30 women who gets this man. And apparently this show has been on for like 15 years or something. And I yeah, think I think it's been around for a long time. Yeah. And I think one marriage has lasted from it. So everyone knows that it's not going to work out, but it's again, it's like I won the attention of this man over 30 women. To me, that's very Juno Hera. It's very Zeus. Like he can make out with all these women and it's a non-issue and like, millions of people watch her. It's fucking crazy. And these women are basically battling one another, um, in the, this, this kingdom to get this God. So, um, she's a very Juno archetype. So she's one that, um, when you look at her in charts, if you see strong Juno women, you'll see, or, or men again, but you'll see that. And I actually go into the, the chart of Angelina Jolie as an example with that one. Um, and then uh, Vesta. And Vesta is known as the sacred whore, the hearth, the um, fire, the kundalini. I've talked about her a little bit too, but she is um, a big, big deal. And for me, the way I see her in charts is not just creativity, but I really see her in sexuality. Um, she, to me, like Venus represents how we love, Mars represents how we desire, but Venus represents how we fuck. Okay. So how we make love. Vesta. What did I say? Yeah. You said Venus. Venus. Oh, again. Yeah. yeah got, got my words. It's okay, girl. That's just how <laughs> it works. But she really represents that part. And that was the part where I think I got really a lot of people upset at the lecture. Cause I was like, really? Oh yeah. Because I was like talking about sex. Oh, and well, sexuality. see, I have a conjunct my moon, so I'm like, yeah, let's yeah, talk about it. you're sexy as hell. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And I have her conjunct my Venus and Mars. So mm-hmm. I think when women have strong Vestas, they're very sexual creatures. And I'll go into the story of her, but back in ancient times, people would recognize that there were some girls who were more sexual than other ones. And rather than have them go out into the streets and become whores or become, you know, promiscuous they would turn it into spiritual sacred abilities and they would harness it. And that's what the Vestal virgins did is they gave men spiritual enlightenment through sexuality. So whenever you have a strong Vesta, there's a good chance that you're highly sexual, but you're also highly spiritual and that you see sex as spiritual, which it is. Um, orgasm is God and there's no way around that. Amen. Mm-hmm. And it's opposing my Neptune as well. So mm-hmm. right. Yeah, right. So having, sure. yeah. So in my fifth house of all things. Yeah. So making know? love with Danielle, yeah. I'm sure is a very spiritual, take you to different galaxies experience. Right. And it is yeah. for me too. Right. So mm-hmm. I think also vest strong vest of women, especially we heal our partners. Um, cool through sexuality. And I think that a lot of women who have this don't always actually wind up married, um, because they keep 
meeting like I've actually heard one astrologer talk about it like they're the women or the people who heal their partners to go on to do the great thing they're going to do and so it's it you know and again I'm not going to say those of you with strong vesta won't get married or will get married I have no idea but I know that I'm not married and I may never get married and part of it is because I of this vest of peace, I think for me, is it might not be of the benefit to humanity for me to be with one man. It might actually be benef- because I do heal them through this activity. And so maybe that is my destiny is that, you know, I keep healing them. So that's going to look how it looks in everybody's charts in the, their own ways. Um, but I will go much, much more into that, of course, in the talk. Um, and then I do go into Lilith. I talk more about Lilith and I give some really great examples for her and great imagery. I go into Sedna. I use Sedna regularly in my chart interpretation. She's an Inuit myth and she to me is so obvious. Like when people have strong Sednas, it's very obvious. It has a lot to do with the betrayal of the father. Um, Isis, I use her. She's pretty awesome. And she is an Egyptian myth. Um, and she is all about when people have strong Isis, they will tend to be fract- have fractured hearts, um, in one respect or another. And they tend to be people who are world travelers and, um, basically traveling the world to pick up the fractured pieces of their soul of their heart. Again, it looks in each chart, it's different how that's going to look, but she's pretty obvious in charts as well. Um, and I do want to just mention a little bit more about Eris really quickly, and then we'll get this episode wrapped up. But Eris um, was discovered in 2005, and she is the goddess of, um, well, she's got a, a number of things, but she's the goddess of chaos, strife, and discord. And her story is that she does not get invited to this big wedding at Mount Olympus. And because she's the goddess of discord and strife and chaos, and so they're like, we're not bringing this bitch into the wedding. So she's like, that was a terrible idea, you guys. Like, you don't, you purposely don't invite me to a wedding, like you will have, you will suffer from this. So she throws a golden apple into the, um, to the crowd and Hera and Athena and Aphrodite start fighting over it. And Zeus is like, Hey, 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 no, none of this cat fight. Like we let's settle down and let's have somebody neutral decide who is the fairest of them all. Cause excuse me on the apple, it said this apple belongs to the fairest of them all. Again, we know where this story comes from in modern mythology, too, in the Disney version. Um, So he pulls up this random guy, Paris, from the mortal realms, and he's like, Paris, you choose. Who's the fairest of them all? And so they each go up to him, and Athena's like, well, I will give you wisdom and cunning, and I will let you win at war, and I'm the fairest of them. He's like, okay, and... Um, then Hera Juno comes up. She's like, well, I will give you power and you will be king if you choose me. And he's like, okay. And Aphrodite is like, I'll give you this hot chick, Helen. <laughs> and he's like, okay, done. So Aphrodite wins because he gives her Helen. Well, it turns out Helen is married to this other guy and hence Helen of Troy. And this is the beginning of the Tro- Trojan War. So Eris, whenever she's a big player in individuals' charts, all I and I'm going to use lots of examples for her because I think she's... She's basically blown my mind. I'm so obsessed with this chick at this point. But uh, every major feminist has her conjunct their sun or their moon or something huge. Because these are women, again, there are men's charts too, but these are women who fuck shit up. These are women who are mad, who are angry, and who are ready to battle and fight. And right now, we have Uranus conjunct Eris in the sky. And he has been conjuncting her 
for a long time. So the women's movement, the women's march has everything to do with Eris. Okay. So she's a big one. So, um, we can, again, purchase the thing. I'll talk more about her. I'll probably be giving more lectures about Eris at this point because she's now become my focal point in chart interpretation because she is such a big deal. It's absurd. She's bigger of a deal than Pluto. So, and she's in, I have her opposing my Pluto Uh in the third in Aries. Yeah. Yeah, and she's she'll be in Aries forever, right? Because she moves much oh, slower. Right. Slower. Uh-huh. Yeah. It takes her, I think, five hundred. What is it? Oh, I don't have this written down. Oh, yeah, it's five hundred and sixty um, years to Man. go around, right? So she's, she's like an eclipse, even. She's what? You know, she's like an eclipse, like in, in that same kind of patterned way of like. Mm-hmm. I think the eclipse, whatever. Um, Adam was talking about with the, the cycles. I can't remember. This is Neptune. Sorry. Um, <laughs> 650 years or something like that. Anyways. Um, oh, right. Yeah. The, the synodic cycles. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yes, yes. Yeah. So she is, she takes a really long time. And so she's been in Aries for a while now, and that has a lot to do with the movement of feminism. So that's, I mean, these, this is why I'm like, holy shit, this, this person, this archetype is like, and she's so much more powerful than, um, than Athena, than Juno, than all of the others in terms of power. And, and, uh, she's also considered the goddess of war, whereas Athena is kind of the counterpart to Ares. Um, Ares is straight up the goddess of war. So she's not the god of war. She's the goddess of war. So this is a really big deal. And she moved in there um, during the suffragette movement in the early 1920s or early 1900s was when she kind of showed up in Aries. So that's why we're starting to see what we're seeing, the woman, the the, the uprising of, of the feminine. I think she has everything to do with it. So she's, again, she's newer to me, but I, I studied her for a long time getting this presentation together. And at this point, I'm most compelled by her at this point, um, because when I'll show you Gloria Steinem's chart, I'll show you all of these really well-known feminists and you will see that Eris is, is the player in these people's, these women's charts. They're mad. They're, uh, Beyonce has a big one. So you're going to see this. And, um, so, uh, so that's a little uh, stuff. So for, for you guys to start chewing on thinking about, but again, please just go to eugeniacrock.com under learn, click, um, the pre-sale order of this slideshow and um, presentation. I will give you, it will be close to two hours. And then also you can go and check out the one I did with soul, which is just on series, Athena, Juno, and, um, Vesta. So, yeah. And we've covered a couple in our podcasts as well. If you go back, um, yeah, series in general. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And we talked about Lilith on yes an episode as well. So right. cool. Well, I mean, I'm stoked about this. I think this is super, super cool. And thank you for sharing, you know, even just, um, distilling very quickly this information so people can start to get a little, you know, the, percolation is happening. And of course, like looking into my own chart and, you know, looking at other people's charts with these, um, goddesses, it's, yeah, it's just another layer of the story and it's phenomenal to just see how these things kind of emerge. 
So, um, right. Like you have Isis conjunct Venus, you have Vesta conjunct moon, you have Ceres conjunct sun, you have Sedna conjunct Chiron, which you is have, so telling. Uh huh. That is so telling in the fourth house of my parents' divorce. Huge. Yes. Cause that's the betrayal yes. of the father. Um, exactly. quite literally, um, you've got Athena and Eris conjunct you have. Yep. So, and you have, Oh Jesus, you have Lilith conjunct Pluto. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, Holy I shit. mean, it's a wide conjunction, but yes. I have it at 19 and 21. Well, the different forms of Lilith. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, yeah. In the presentation, I'm just going to go over the asteroid Lilith because right. there's like so many iterations of Lilith and I can't be bothered at this point. But, um, but yeah, so, so Danielle has these so outstandingly large in her chart and, and so do I, and there's no coincidence that we are in charge or not in charge, but we're putting together this tribe of the feminine energy. That's I think over time going to get bigger and bigger and more and more affecting and more and more place of, of salvation for women and, um, and storytelling and gathering and being still and, you know, being with God and spirit and ceremony. And, and we are beh- behind this movement in that way. And it's like, well, yeah, we have major fucking goddesses in our charts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's why it's also always been sort of, um, in a, in a weird way, not something that I felt like I had to claim because it's just already part of who I am that, um, I, it's never been like this part waking up in me. It's always just kind of like been there and the way I've, uh, you know, framed my perspective of, of life around, um, you know, the masculine and the feminine. And I'm just going to plug this book. It's not my book, so it's not really a plug, but the chalice and the blade. Cause you mentioned, um, Ken Wilber's book, which was awesome, but the chalice and the blade speaks to this. Uh, conversation that we're talking about and also the lost continent of Moo, if you've ever read that. So just going to recommend those books just to kind of, if you're feeling like you want to explore this, not so much in the astrological sense, but in more of the um, sociological sense of what we're talking about and, and what this looks like and where we're at. And it's just super exciting. I mean, I, what a great, time to be alive and to be a woman because it's just, you know, this coming into our power and, um, and, and welcoming other women into it as well. And I think that that's really pretty, pretty cool. So thank you so much, Eugenia, for shining light on the, on these, um, goddesses. And I look forward to learning through your lectures as well. Yes. And that is my, 2017 goal you all listening is I'm I'm sh- I'm switching it up on my end and this is I want to be teaching more. I love seeing all of you clients I do. My goodness, but all of you are like I need to know more and I'm good at teaching this. So, I that's going to be my hopes and dreams um moving forward with my career. So, you know, I'm going to keep publishing. I'm going to keep putting things up there in terms of presentations, um, to teach you all more and more and, um, just keep looking out for it and I'll keep mentioning it on the podcast. So yeah. Uh, son in the ninth house. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm all about it, about it. And I have Uranus conjunct Jupiter exactly in Sagittarius. So yeah. 
yeah, I'm, my path is to be the teacher and, and yeah. I love reading charts, of course, but I, I really want to start shifting my focus more towards the teaching aspect. So that's what I will be doing more and more. So beautiful. So speaking of teaching, we're going to get ready for our new moon ceremony stuff that we're talking about, but we're also going to get ready for a Q and a tonight. So for those of you listening who are not patrons, please consider supporting our work. Um, and you will get gifted both being in the tribe, but also getting to go through the question answer with us live face to face, um, in the virtual reality. Uh, you know, one of, you know, it was Brittany who got chosen for this week's episode. So you could be chosen for a, a episode for one week out of the month. Uh, there's just so many awesome perks. You can, you know, can sponsor us. You can get the dual reading with Danielle and us, myself, which our special is still going on through Fe- February 26th. So if you do want to get a reading with the both of us, a lot of people are hitting us up on that, which is super dope because we're so good at it together. Um, it's pleasurable and you're getting 25% off right now. So check that out on bridgingrealities.com. Um, that'll be on the homepage or under purchases or something like that, but check that out there or email us and um, offers. Offers. It's under offers, yeah. Thank you. So lots of offerings for all of the you tribe members and we hope you are all okay during this soupy like you Danielle said in the last episode she's pruned from this Piscean bath <laughs> I loved that um so take take yeah. your time chill out y'all this is not the time to be wildly productive you know be with God listen to music exactly. be in ceremony as much as humanly possible at this point so we love you all a lot talk to you next week yeah many blessings <laughs>